Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining me today is Devam Mehta, founder of Mehta Financial Group. Thank you for joining me, Devam. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Yes, wonderful. I think our audience will learn a lot of exciting and inspirational things from you today. You're definitely uh, forging a path of your own. So let's start where I always like to start in my podcast, which is with you sharing with the audience a little bit about your own personal journey. How did you get to where you are today? Sure. So I started my career at a JP Morgan Chase in the research department in the Tampa Bay area after graduating um, undergraduate school from Florida State University. Um, soon after I accepted an offer to be part of the wealth management team at a local regional bank in the Tampa Bay area. Um, at the same time, I also started doing my MBA program, attending evening classes while working full time as well. So upon graduation of my MBA program, I made a horizontal move within the wealth management team um, and transferred back to my hometown to Richmond, Virginia. But as destiny would have it, this was in 2008. And so after the financial crisis came to head, I was asked to move again to Atlanta, um, which I you know, firmly declined because I had just moved back home. And so after some time to reflect, I think that was a good segue for me to start my own practice at that point. I'm going to follow up on that a little bit. How does one decide to go from being a research analyst where you started to where you are today from an independent perspective? Walk the sure. audience through. The, I, I have to imagine there was some points of anxiety there, but how did definitely. you find your direction? No, definitely, definitely. So um, being in the research analyst uh, role, that definitely helped me cultivate a lot of my quantitative skills um, as far as investment management is concerned. But while I was there, I also understood the nuances of actually um, having client-facing responsibilities as well, because part of our role was to um, conduct the research for the portfolio managers so the portfolio managers could present um, their findings or their client recommendations to clients. And so I found that aspect of um, the business and the profession to be a little bit more interesting as far as helping clients achieve their financial goals. And so that was kind of the segue and the transition that I made is that um, I had the quantitative skills and then, you know, being a part of the team itself helped me to understand how I can apply that skill set to actually, you know, having my own independent space, having my own practice and aggregating all the skills that I've learned together and putting that in front of um, everyday families as opposed to just high net with individuals that I was used to doing while I was working for the large corporations. What was probably the biggest challenge that you remember facing as you were making the leap into pure independence? Uh, well, starting out with zero clients, I think that was the biggest biggest fear that I had is that um, that was something that I definitely had to build on my own. So I didn't I did not purchase a book. Um, I started off with zero clients. So part of the journey was to build a book of business. And then that was the um, honestly, the, the most challenging aspect of this entire venture is that how do I get clients? And um, initially, obviously, it took a lot of work as far as going door to door just with small business owners, forging relationships through my own community members. And then slowly but surely, I think that, you know, definitely um, helped me progress through um, that space. And then, you know, eventually I became a, a situation where the majority of my clients are all referrals now. I don't do any marketing. I don't do any advertising. A lot of it is just, you know, clients who are, who are very happy with our services. And then um, they refer me to their other family members or friends that they have in the, in the country. 
Great. Your bio actually mentions that you're a first-generation Indian American and you came to the U.S. at a young age, I believe. Um, how did some of the early experiences influence your decision to get into financial services to begin with? Sure. And how did they inspire you then to perhaps become an entrepreneur? Sure, absolutely. So um, I came here to the country when I was about seven years old. So it seems as if the 90s were a completely different world altogether now compared to now, um, especially for first generation immigrants. Um, back then, there were so few Indian immigrants that we never had the community that we do today. Um, and with that type of societal and cultural situation, information and proper guidance was super rare in terms of creating financial security for families. So I saw it in my own family too. Um, we never had the proper guidance or the knowledge on how to create a financial plan or how to do things systematically. So client education is very important um, to me and a part of my practice. And I conduct a great deal of outreach in the Indian community through seminars that promote financial awareness. Um, and I also do a lot of pro bono work with younger generations and younger people to help them plan for and fund their college education for themselves and for their children as well. Have you had any luck inspiring any of them to consider the financial services side of things or what Absolutely. you do? Do you get Absolutely. interest? Absolutely. I do. I do. So I've had a lot of parents ask me to provide their kids with guidance as well as far as um, either a career in specifically what I do or somewhere in the financial sector as well. Talk about the big difference between Wall Street and what you do today. What did you find were some of the biggest differentiators that maybe some of our listeners who are working mm -hmm. in a Wall Street firm, if you will, today, what would they expect? What are the differences? I think the larger firms definitely cater to high net worth and affluent clients, um, especially from the, the teams that I was a part of. And so what I focus on here is taking that skill set and having that proper guidance applied to middle income families or even first and second generation immigrants because they deserve to be sound investors as much as anybody else. And sometimes there is a um, there is like this imaginary wall, right, that prevents them from obtaining that type of service or obtaining that type of um, strategy or obtaining that type of skill set from a proper advisory group. Let's talk a little bit about your clients. You, you've mentioned a little bit about their dynamics, but talk about the onboarding process. So primarily through referrals, then what? So we go through a discovery process. Um, so we kind of review each individual or family's personal financial situation right now, um, what their past was and help them identify what their financial objectives are in the future. And then we try to establish priorities as well, right? So whether they need um, protection, planning for education, retirement planning, or just proper investment planning in general. And then we try to determine what type of risk they also wanna take as well. So the majority of my clients are um, first and second generation. So risk to them is extremely important on how we mitigate that because to them, you know, they've worked so hard to get to this country and then they work so hard to build a, a, a financial base. So they don't want to taking end up taking more risk than they have to. Um, so risk management and risk assessment is super critical as part of our process as well. Um, and then we kind of identify the resources that a client is going to need and outline a program and an actionable financial plan so they can actually, you know, end up where they need to be as far as creating something that they have no idea on how to even execute or having something so out of reach that they can't even obtain on their own. What's an example of a typical actionable plan? What are the times, types of components that are in there? Sure. So for a younger family, um, something actionable can be as simple as 
creating a 529 program, right? So um, one of the main uh, priorities for any Indian family is going to be educating their children. They, they place more emphasis on that um, than retirement as well, right? So we kind of had to move away from that sometimes, but that is an important part of um, their goals and what they're trying to achieve for themselves and their family. So it could be as simple as starting a 529 program. It can be as simple as, you know, creating a retirement forecast for themselves on how they can achieve multiple things at the same time as well. They don't have to overemphasize on any one component. And then how often do you follow up on that plan with them? Or what does that process look like after the fact? So we try to do annual reviews with clients so we can actually um, have monitoring. We can monitor their progress as well. Um, but I've always tell my clients that if they have any questions in the meantime, or if they feel that they're not on track, they can always reach out to me um, and we can conduct an impromptu review as well. So it's not as strict as maintaining only quarterly or only annual reviews. So I'm very open to communicating with them uh, openly as far as if they have any questions or concerns in the meantime. You talked about education being really important to this demographic that you serve. Educating their children is extremely important, I understand, in the terms of, to your point, sometimes spending maybe more of their resources doing that than mm -hmm. making sure they're taken care of. But do they ever bring their children in to talk with you about what's going on? And, you know, there's a lot of other demographics where that's the biggest flaw here is we don't talk to the children about the finances of the family until somebody's sure. dead and now they're stuck mm -hmm. figuring things out. Is that different in your world? Sure, sure. So, um Children, I think, are definitely more involved in my demographic than, than most maybe. Um, and that's because they have a very tight-knit family unit. So sometimes um, multiple generations are living together as well. So um, if I'm going to their home, then everybody is going to be present for the meeting. And so I feel that multiple generations are involved in the planning process. Maybe it doesn't specifically apply to them, but they are definitely aware of what's going on and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and then oftentimes, um, the way our, my practice is designed is that, um, you know, clients within a family will also become clients in the future. So once a child graduates university, they want to start something very small and basic. I'm not going to turn them down just because they don't have an asset base already. I know the family, I know their structure, so I want to help them get started with even something small, right? It can be something as simple as setting up a monthly investment program, for example. So that is a nice way to also build my practice as well. So the more people that are involved in a family, um, the better it is for them and, and for my practice as well. Yeah, and at your age, while you may be able to retire early because you got started so young, um, it also <laughs> helps guarantee, we, you know, we hear in the media a lot of conversation about that great wealth transfer that's going to take place someday. Absolutely. And what you're doing is positioning your business to survive long after the generation you're serving today, which is really key. Absolutely. So uh, you came from the research analyst and analytical background. What kind of tools do you use today to build your portfolios? How does that work? So I use uh, investment models that on Cambridge's site as well. And then for my financial planning, I do use MoneyTree. I think those both of them together work very well because MoneyTree gives us um, like a basic blueprint, right, of how to grow the money or where we need to be. And then the tools on the investment on the platform that Cambridge has definitely on the Wealthport side helps as well. So the majority of my business is advisory business. I do very little um, commission-based business on the purging side. So Wealthport definitely helps me manage um, the advisory business fully and especially with trading or block trading as well. 
That's good to hear that we're uh, offering you something that's helping your business. Absolutely. Um, what do you think the biggest difference is between your maybe, you know, late 50s, early 60 year old clients versus a younger 30, late 30, early 40 client? What when they come in your door, what do you know is going to be a, a differentiator as you're communicating with them? Sure. I would definitely think um, priorities are a little different because I think a 50 and 60 year old, they're not going to be concerned too much about college education, for example. Um, and oftentimes the 50 or 60 year old have not done any retirement planning at all. So we're kind of um, we're kind of handicapped in that sense that we have this goal in mind that we want to retire maybe in five or seven years, but we haven't done anything. So we need to kind of accelerate the process, get them up on speed on what we need to do, as opposed to a 30-year-old who's just, you know, getting into the prime of their earning capacity, earning, um, earning years. So the strategy, the conversation will be very different because they may have younger children that we need to account for as well. So um, I think it's a two different dynamics on how to plan and when what type of strategies to use. I presume you've had to have the conversation with some of the older generations that have done nothing until they come into your office that they might not be able to meet their goals. No matter what you do, you're not going to knock it out of the park. Uh, How does that how does that go? How do you help them accept their reality and and move forward? Sure, sure. So uh, the first thing is we kind of have to just show them quantitatively how it doesn't make sense. Um, Mathematically may not happen the way they envision their retirement to go, but also explain to them that, you know, these are based on um, certain assumptions, right? Certain lifestyle assumptions that we may have in the future. So if we scale those back a little, um, maybe the conversation becomes a little bit more feasible in the future. Um, But we do have to kind of um, massage that part of the conversation as far as it may not be exactly ideal to what you want the future to be, but it doesn't mean that it's not still going to be positive for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think you in those situations, financial professionals, it's where, well, not all of you have a psychology degree in one way or another. Um, you start to leverage what you know about psychology and people. Absolutely. absolutely. So, Devin, your list of accomplishments is really admirable. Just to name a few, you were awarded the Rising Star Award by Investment News in 2018, and you're recognized nationally as a top 40 under 40 financial advisor by Investment News. That's crazy. Um, And congratulations. We're so honored to have you as a part of the Cambridge Nation. What's the key to all of that? How How do you get the word out that you know, that you're even a contender for these kinds of things. Cause I have to imagine those accomplishments do help gain the trust of your clients as well. Absolutely. Um, I would say just being true to myself and playing to my strengths was paramount in the success that I've had so far. I think a lot of people get caught up in trying to be something they're not. Um, and on the way, they kind of forget what got them there in the first place. Um, so I am an introvert by nature. So listening and empathizing with clients comes very easy to me. Um, And I think that in turn builds trust, which I think is the most important attribute an advisor can have, even more than any technical skill. So I think that serves me well, just my natural personality to be a good listener, empathize with clients, and just have that, um, you know, that personal connection with somebody, as opposed to just overloading them with the technical skills or technical knowledge that I might have. Yeah, great advice. And probably... 
in reality, I would guess your technical skills and the language you might use if you were talking to somebody from your earlier years when you were in those roles Definitely. wouldn't resonate very well with your clients Absolutely. today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just have to make sure that I communicate in a way that um, they not only understand, but also they have the trust into, into that we have the skill set to do everything that they need, but that connection has to be there in the first place. What's your business look like? Are you running a solo? Um, yes, with a solo practice. Okay, and then mm -hmm. you have a support team in any way? Not, not everything yet. yourself. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and all of those accomplishments. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. So another one of my favorite questions. We often have to inspire, and you're probably a great example of somebody who can do this, younger people, so a different sort of diversity than we've been talking about up until now, perhaps, but we're not always, financial services, especially the independent space, can be intimidating. We're not always um, a warm and welcoming community, potentially, to younger people, and I think part of that is that from the outside in, it looks like we don't have a life, so talk about what you do besides <laughs> running your business. Sure, sure. Um, I'm an avid reader. Um, before I got into my ball practice, though, I used to go through about 50 books a year, but I don't anymore. Um, so now that my time is a bit scarce, uh, I try to enjoy other things. Um, so I enjoy working out, um, running, and I also train in martial arts. So I'm pursuing my black belt in Taekwondo as well. So I try to take out as much time as I can to, to pursue the hobbies that I've already cultivated. So you have a life. That's the message. I do. Right? I, do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that being independent allows us to have that opportunity as well. So as opposed to um, working a normal nine to five job, I think that, you know, having an independent practice definitely allows you to have a life outside of work, um, you know, pay, make your own schedule. So I think there are definitely pros in that space. Yeah, that's great advice. I think that's a really important point for our listeners to hear for sure. So if you were, if you had one piece of advice for somebody, let's say they've already made the decision to get into financial services, um, but it, one piece of advice on how to get started, what would it be? Um, I would say just play to your strengths, right? So whatever natural strengths you have. So if you are an extrovert, then definitely be outgoing, network as much as you can in the areas and the places that you are most comfortable in. But even if you're not an extrovert and are an introvert, that can definitely help you too, right? So don't get discouraged by um, when people say that only extroverts can succeed as, a, as an independent advisor. That's definitely not true. Um, I think that we just have to kind of rewire our thinking and, and try to do things differently um, rather than just go, oh, with whatever everybody else is saying as far as extroverts are the only people that can succeed or anything like that. I think that's an important point. I don't know that anybody's ever brought that up on the podcast, honestly. Now that you mention it, you know, trying to get one of our financial professionals to actually participate on a panel or do public speaking is not easy. Sure. Um, I think perception is that if you're a financial professional, you ha you will be an extrovert and you do right. enjoy things like public speaking, but just like normal people, um, that's not always a favorite idea or concept for others. And um, there's a real difference between extrovert public speaking styles versus one-on-one -on -one empathetic absolutely. listening conversations absolutely. and serving clients absolutely it's, it's just about building a connection right so if somebody builds a connection with you they trust you then they'll definitely do business with you it's not who's the, the greatest public speaker necessarily but if you can just have that connection with somebody i think that's key yeah there's an art to asking for a referral what is your strategy how does that work 
I don't really ask for referrals anymore. I think people just give me referrals because they like me as a person, to be honest. I, I have not asked for referrals in a very, very long time. Um, before, I would just simply say, if you know anybody who can you know, use my services, let me know. But now I don't even ask. It's just literally they, they offer me um, contact information for people or they'll just reach out to me directly just because they like my services or they trust me as a person. Hard work at the beginning, building the relationship, and then it comes, right? Absolutely. It just takes time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Devon, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about yourself with us today. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should, that you think the listeners should know? Um, no, I think you've been very thorough, but thank you for having me. It was, it was a wonderful experience. Yes, it's great. Uh, and um, thanks again for being a great example of Cambridge Stronger. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.